Welcome to the Breaking Stars podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds that broke into tech. The kids are the future, and teachers deserve more credit because they spend a lot of time figuring out the best way for their students to learn. Today's Breaking the Stars guest, Monica Allen, not only understood this, but was also a teacher who became a rock star in the educational world after he thought about his love for gaming and taught himself how to make an online game that got kids excited about learning math. Thinking more about his philosophy major in symbolic logic and the impact he can make in tech, he decided to join Dev Bootcamp to level up and become a software engineer. Not only did Mana land a job at Stitch Fix, a startup with breakout revenue growth, but he also drops gems about his experience in a boot camp, the job search, and his life as a chef before becoming a teacher. Part of the reason why we started the Breaking Stars podcast was not just to share these stories, but also to provide you with an unbiased page of resources that we recommend for you to use at your own discretion. And you can go to breakingthestars.com resources to get discounts when you apply to boot camps like Dev Bootcamp and similar programs. Also, if you want to prepare yourself before you apply, make sure you sign up to our five-step challenge at breakingstartups.com slash challenge. Mine is super dope, and if you love food or gaming like mine and I do, then this episode is especially for you. So now without further ado, let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Arts and Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yes, so it's 7.30 a.m. on a Friday. And uh, our guest, he graciously agreed to meet us at this hour before he has to go to work. But we're doing something different today. So usually we have the four of us sitting in the room together. Today, Ruben is actually joining us on Skype. He's going to his brother's graduation in Atlanta. And we have a very interesting guest. Uh, he has a crazy story. Uh, Arthur, can you please introduce the guest? Yeah, I'm super excited to be speaking with uh, Mana Callan today. He um, was a public school teacher, and not just uh, any public school teacher. He was teaching kids in Harlem. And then he decided to learn how to code and attend a coding boot camp out here in San Francisco. He has an amazing story. And um, before we begin, I noticed on your LinkedIn that you actually worked as a chef for a bunch of years before you became a teacher. Can you take us back and tell us a little bit about how you got involved in uh, the service industry and then what led you to get involved with education? Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. So cooking has always been really important to me. Growing up, I, my parents were the two worst chefs on the planet. And <laughs> I literally thought rice was supposed to be crunchy until I was in high school. Uh, <laughs> And I told myself that if I ever have a family, I want to be able to cook for them. So cooking was always a passion of mine. In college, I lived next to these girls. And they. Uh, and one day, I had this brilliant idea where I said I was going to make these muffins. And I go to these girls, I bring these muffins, and I'm like, yo, I made these, but I used some special ingredients. They got no fat. They got like 0% sugar. And I made up all this stuff about the muffins. They were crazy about them. And from that experience, I was like, all right, this cooking thing is the bomb. So uh, that's kind of how I, I started off cooking. And then when I, my education lapsed, I had some situations going on with my family and I came home. I saw it as a way to express my creativity and start building something I was passionate about. 
So I went in the phone book. I just I found restaurants that had a menu full of items I felt like I could make, identified them, eventually got a scholarship and went to culinary school, got an associate's degree, started working in restaurants in New York City, which was amazing and really challenging at the same time. I learned a ton in a really short period of time. And eventually I was able to open my my own spot, which the best part of opening my own spot in New York, it was a barbecue place. And since I didn't know anything about barbecue, I spent about a year just traveling the South, just learning about learning about different smokers, learning the difference between brisket and brisket and pulled pork and all the different sources. Brought that back up to New York and was able to open up a barbecue restaurant. When can we try uh, some of your barbecue? I mean, yeah, my housewarming is soon. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll roast a pig. It's going to be great. Yeah. Hopefully um, we'll release the episode by then. So then we'll be able to listen to it as we're eating your barbecue. Sounds, sounds great, man. I'd love yeah. it. Yeah. So it sounds like you have a lot of passions. You, uh, we'll get to the, the other part of your story a little bit later. But you also mentioned that in the pre-chat that you also, you're a big gamer. You like video games. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I love puzzles and I love being able to figure stuff out. And so games offer that opportunity. And then there's also fighting games are my favorite because you're not only figuring out the puzzle that the game presents, you're figuring out the puzzle of another person in real time. So it's like figuring out a Rubik's Cube while you're playing chess and you have to remember you know, how to play the violin because there's all these special combinations that you can do. And it was a huge part of my life. It's a huge part of my friend group, how my friends and I would connect over something and have this competition, always pushing each other to be better, you know, and it ended up all over my body. My right arm is covered in Street Fighter tattoos. (laughs) My left arm is covered in SNK, Samurai Showdown, King of Fighters. And it's always going to be with me. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Were there any particular lessons that you drew from cooking and from gaming that you kind of applied into like the next steps of your career? So absolutely. I was just having this chat with my friend online the other day. He said like, oh, I got this great milk to put in hollandaise. And I was like, what? Milk doesn't go. Hollandaise is eggs and butter. Like, what are you talking about milk? He's like, oh, no, I got this powder. And like, it just spoke to me because I'm not the type of guy who would make make hollandaise out of powder. Like, recognize the real and understand what is important and don't take shortcuts. And then in fighting games, don't complain, get better, right? Like you're sitting on the couch, you have the same access to the exact same resources as the person next to you. And if you lose, you can't really, you don't make excuses, you don't blame anyone, you don't get mad, you just practice. I love that mentality. So uh, it sounds like at this point in your life, you're traveling the South, you're found the best recipes for the barbecue, you're in New York, you open up your own spot, Tell us about the next steps. What happened next? So, you know, being a restaurateur, owning a bar in your 20s is amazing, but it's exhausting. So I was lucky enough where I sold my restaurant to my investors and I hadn't finished my college degree at this point and I wanted to go back. So I went back to college and at this point I could study whatever I wanted. And I was always really interested in philosophy. So I wanted to get a degree in philosophy, specifically symbolic logic which is the understanding of truth tables and like not an actual argument, but like a structure of an argument, which is really awesome. But (laughs) people don't like when you break it out because it makes people feel like you're trying to say you're smarter than them. But it was really exciting to me and the how it translated into teaching and eventually into programming is 
logic is the grandfather of mathematics. Like it is the precursor to all things, all things computational. And not only computational, but understanding those relationships and understanding how how things are measured. Like the binary code is literally what we would spend hours on. How do we get a zero to a one and what does that mean? Which is how I became a math teacher next. And that specific process was I joined a program called the New York City Teaching Fellows. And the Teaching Fellows is a program that takes people who do not have an education background and they put them in the classroom, they pay for your master's, you have a job, but you are learning on the fly. And the idea is you are going to take your life experiences and apply that to the classroom. And also, we are go- they are going to give you the education that they want their teachers to have. Yeah. And we often talk about leadership skills in startups and starting businesses, mm-hmm. but managing a classroom of uh, eight-year-olds or 10-year-olds is probably by far the hardest because those uh, guys and girls, there's very little incentive that you can provide them unless you're very engaging and you're leading them versus like your coworkers. If you're a project manager, I mean, they're getting paid. They have to be there. So what were your lessons uh, teaching a classroom of, uh, I think you mentioned fourth graders or yeah. fifth graders? I mean, I ended up teaching all the way from fourth up to high school. But my first year I was teaching fourth grade. And this is kind of throughout, especially with middle school. They have no vested interest. Like Coming in the door, they don't necessarily have a vested interest in what you're doing. You have to get them engaged and you have to... Learning doesn't... It's not a me to you process. It's kind of a you to you process. Like You have to absorb the material and you have to wrap it around your mind. And the teacher's job is to facilitate that learning and get you excited or give you the tools you need to develop the understandings that you're going to later apply in real world situations or in order to learn another concept. Yeah. And so did the fellows place you in the Harlem that like you were a bouncer? How how is that process? So they placed me in Manhattan and there's this element of when you when you start a career in education, you think you're going to solve all the problems of education. You think you have the answers. So there is something romantic about going to the places where education is difficult. So I had to interview at different schools and the culture at the schools in Harlem resonated with me and that ended up being where I, where I was placed. Being that I was a teaching fellow and not someone who studied education, it was a culture shock because even being from New York, I wasn't from necessarily the neighborhoods I was teaching in. And I saw a lot of things like addiction, like violence that are emotionally draining, not only for me as an adult who has some capacity to deal with, with tough situations, but for my kids who are going through life situations that I couldn't imagine how you would deal with it. And then seeing their resilience, seeing their resilience, like whether they acted up in school, like they were there despite whatever happened the night before, despite whatever they were going home to. Some people like just didn't have food. It was rough to, and then to try and make it seem important to take a spelling test, you know, that was yet another challenge because I do know that in order for them to grow and to get, to move on, the education is important. How do you make it seem important when someone doesn't know if they're going to eat at night? Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you did something actually to help them grow and to make it fun for them that tied into like your gaming background before, you know, anybody really knew what like ed tech was and, and things like that. And so what, what was the unique thing that you did that got people excited about math and things like that? Yeah. I appreciate you making it sound altruistic, like it was all for them, but what I needed to do is in order to teach the students, I knew that we're many different levels. So what 
I could only, I needed to work with small groups at a time. And if I worked with one group, I needed a way to occupy the other so they weren't running around and uh, going crazy. So what I did was I created this Pac-Man game where Pac-Man would go around and eat numbers based on an equation, let's say like multiples of three or numbers, yeah, multiples of three or prime numbers or something like that. So Pac-Man had to go around and eat the correct numbers. And the game was great. The kids loved it. The kids played it. But what really was the learning experience for me is that we were able to take that game and iterate on it and build on it. The kids wanted to play two players at the same time. So together as a class, we built that feature. And together as a class, we like tracked how people were doing and they came up with their own tracking system. And the tool for kind of occupying students became this vehicle for learning in many ways. And this yeah. uh, game that you were building, did you buy it? Do you have a developer in your classroom who was building this game? Or do you, how did you guys get it done? Yeah, this is something I built from scratch on my own with a co- program called uh, Macromedia Flash, which was really popular at that time. And it was just some, a hobby that I had. I didn't know, like this was before mm-hmm. apps were a thing. The principal didn't ask me to do it. It was just something, this was the only tool I had that I knew I could bring in that would that I thought could solve the problem. And I think that speaks to my lack of experience of a teacher. I didn't know the way to do it correctly, so I only used what I knew, and it turned out to be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it was a hit. It took off. You started teaching other people as well mm-hmm. in, the, in the schools. And, like, did, did they start building games using Flash as well, and did you kind of, like, refer to them to certain books? or So, or how did, yeah. yeah. So my path through education I was always looking to increase my influence. Like my first year, I worked with 25, 30 kids, and that was great. But the next year, I was like, okay, how do I, we did some great things. How do we build that into, to work with more students? So then I started working with the grade. And after that, I worked with the school. And after that, I started teaching other teachers. So like just constantly, my, my influence was growing, and I was able to, to help out more kids. And it wasn't necessarily about building games. It was kind of the underlying thing is find what you're passionate about and bring it into the school. Like I was a chef. That was something else that I brought into the classroom. Other people did origami or like whatever it is that you're passionate about, like the kids can grab onto that and the kids can, maybe it's not that thing. Maybe they don't learn to become great origamiists, but they see how passion can translate into joy and they are there, hopefully therefore that much more apt to develop a skill that they really love and that can take them through the rest of their lives. Yeah, and it's interesting that you bring it up, kind of embracing your background and embracing your differences and your passions and bringing that to engage and relate to other people because something that we talk about on this podcast a lot is kind of people that are coming from non-traditional backgrounds, a lot of the time they feel like they need to fit the mold or follow certain steps to uh, succeed. But we found that people who have the most success are actually the ones that could take their differences, their disadvantages, and turn them into advantages by being proud of those things that differentiate them, and then use that passion to kind of for those things to make an impression on other folks, whether it's in interviews or your coworkers, or a way to stand out and show that hey, I'm um, multidimensional. I have a lot of sides to me that you may not know. Um, were you able to kind of take some of those passions for cooking, for teaching, and um, translate them into coding or learning how to program? So definitely the lessons in like diligence and just being dedicated, but more important than like the lessons in actually learning decoding was the ability to feel comfortable in a room. And 
because I had a lot of diverse experiences, I felt like going into a room and just starting a conversation. Like someone's going to talk about food. Everybody had a school experience. Mm -hmm. And then in feeling comfortable having those conversations, people start to talk to you what they're passionate about. And then like that was a huge part of my job search is identifying people who would just tell me what they were doing and getting exposed to that language of technology and learning what I didn't know so I could go back and I could brush up on that and learning what was important in that world so that I could speak confidently when the time came because I had exposed I had exposure to it and had the chance to go back and refine my my knowledge. Yeah. And yeah. it looks like so it sounds like you got a culinary degree then you went to University of Michigan which is a great school and you got a degree in psychology and philosophy then you got your masters for Fordham and today you work as an engineer. So tell us uh, what bridged the gap what made you decide to jump to that side of uh, the world and start learning how to code and uh, start doing tech? Yeah. I mean, so I think there's, there's only two things worth doing, the things you want to do and the things that are going to get you to do what you want to do. And in that, recognizing when you've done, you've done enough, when that itch has been scratched. I got into cooking because I wanted to know how to cook for people I cared about. It's something I can do any day. It's something I'm very happy about it. I don't necessarily need to be in the restaurant industry. When you talk about education, educating and helping students is something that I want to do for the rest of the life. I'm an engineer at a company, but I also build apps. Right now, I'm building something for the Oakland School District to help them track career pathways for their students. And that's something that also, when we talk about education, I think there's a huge difference between school and education. And the education system as it is today is focused a lot on some topics that like it's much more about testing than I would like it to be. The last school I worked at actually, like the curriculum insisted that every kid come into class, put their notebook in a certain place, put their pencil in a certain place, their homework on a certain place. Like and that kind of conformity was not what I was looking for from an educational experience. So in order to develop what I thought was a more personalized learning system, I really gravitated towards technology as a way to provide a student with the lesson they need when they need it, which brought me into the ed tech field. And I was a curriculum developer where I was writing math lessons in the ed tech field for students. And then I realized if I'm going to be in the ed tech field, how valuable it would be to be a coder, mm -hmm. to be actually be able to be the person who can sit down at the computer and make things exist. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. It's cool that you're doing things in the Oakland Unified, which should definitely connect you with Claire Shaw if you're not connected to her already. But you're, you're in New York working on this curriculum and you're thinking about getting into coding. And New York, they call it Silicon Alley mm -hmm. and they have all these boot camps over there. Why didn't you decide to move to Silicon Valley and, and go to the boot camp that you went to? Yeah. So I will definitely, I was very interested in technology and the intersection of education and technology. At the time, when I was in New York, I did not have any designs on being a software engineer. That was not necessarily a career path I had laid out for myself. I moved to San Francisco for a girl, which did not work out, but that's a whole nother story for a whole nother podcast. Um, you tell us how sober drinks. Yeah. Yep. I'll tell you all about it. So, and when I was here, just tech is so ubiquitous in the Bay Area that I realized that one, there are a lot of opportunities to learn how to code. And two, it will allow me to do the things that I ultimately want to do with education. Mm hmm. That's awesome. And we know that you ended up choosing Dev Bootcamp, but before you made the decision, 
What other schools were you looking at? How did you come about to doing a bootcamp versus teaching yourself? I feel like a lot of our listeners are at a point in their lives where they might be feeling kind of what you were feeling, where they want to tackle the next challenge. They want to have a huge impact. Some people think coding is the way to do it, but some people are holding themselves back, thinking that it's too hard or it's impossible or they're not like meant to be coders. What was your rationale and what was your process uh, for uh, deciding to do a coding bootcamp? Yeah, I'm going to tackle that first, but you mentioned like how hard it is. And I, I want to circle back to that later. So when I was thinking about doing a boot camp, I looked at literally every boot camp in the Bay Area. Uh, I went to interviews. I went for for tours. And Dev Boot Camp really stood out to me as an educator. I was really important. I, I thought that educating the full self was important, right? Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned that it's more than just test scores, but like there's a component of a complete student, right? And Dev Boot Camp really focused on that and what they call engineering empathy and how do you communicate what you're feeling? How do you deal with difficult situations? And I thought that that was important to me as uh, as doing yet another career change and also like navigating the transition from east to west coast. Like it is, it's a different world out here. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of the time, people experience the imposter syndrome when they first start out. Did you uh, feel like you felt the imposter syndrome? It's hard to say. Like I know. I went from something where I felt I was really confident at, and I know that I am not nearly at that level of like of competency in what mm-hmm. I do now. But I also know like there are a lot of resources, right? So in my job, I solve problems that I've never encountered before. I don't know how to encounter, and this is partially from boot camp training and partially just because I've learned this over time. There are people who will answer your questions, and. I will go on a Slack channel for a new technology that I'm trying to learn and I will just go in there and I will talk to their engineers Mm -hmm. and I don't work directly with them. So I don't care if they think I'm stupid. I'll ask the simplest questions. I will say, okay, how do I write? RSpec is like a testing framework. How do I write the RSpec for this? And we will go through it and we will do it together. Yeah. And then I'll turn it into the people I work with and they'll be like, great. (laughs) So do I feel like an imposter? No. Do I realize that like, there's a lot for me to learn. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, that's actually a great point because I know for me personally and and some, some of the folks that I've spoken to, I think your background makes a huge difference when you start tackling new things. I think because you have done so many different things and you became very good at them, you almost, tell me if I'm wrong, but you almost kind of had the mindset to, to tell yourself that, hey, I might not know it today, but I'll do whatever it takes to learn it and become good at it. And I think that's a very important, it's a very important inner game that we should be all telling ourselves. Is that something that you were telling yourself or how did you go about like keeping yourself going whenever things got tough and you started to encounter struggles and obstacles? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things is you realize from not only doing a lot of different things, but then getting to a point where you're evaluating others. Like in cooking, I was evaluating other Mm -hmm. people's, what they made. And then in teaching, I was evaluating what they created. You learn that in the end, what matters is the result, right? So what matters is not that I don't struggle in the process. It matters that what I come up with is what has been asked of me. So as long as I'm getting to that level, as long as I'm creating the thing that I've been asked to do, everything is going to be fine. And what makes things like the challenge is identifying the resources or whatever I need to do to make that thing, the eventually thing that people are asking for. 
but it can be done. And then after a while, of course, you know, as you keep doing something, you get better and better at it. But for right now, how do I bridge that gap for today mm-hmm. and then keep it moving? Yeah. And I want to circle back to Timur's uh, previous question in terms of there's a lot of people that are kind of hesitant to try coding or afraid of the process because it seems difficult. Do you have any advice for those folks or any like mechanisms they could use to get themselves over that hurdle and just start uh, doing versus just kind of sitting on the sidelines? Yeah, I think when people say coding is hard, it is. It's like something you have to do. It's a skill you have to learn. It's a muscle that you have to flex. Like it's, it's something that you have to do. What, what's what's going to make you not progress as a coder is not the challenge of coding. It's your complacency. When you say I'm good enough or like just I can't do it anymore, that's what's going to stop you. As long as you keep moving, as long as you keep doing something, whether it's the same project, whether it's taking on something a little bit different, whether it's like in coding, there's a whole, there's a bunch of languages, right? And there's a bunch of different focuses. If you get stuck in one focus, if you can pivot slightly and then come back, that I feel helps you a lot. What stops progress is complacency. What stops progress is when you get to a point and you just, you don't push anymore. Yeah. And um, so let's circle back to uh, just your experience at Dev Bootcamp. Arthur and I have gone through Hack Reactor and App Academy. So we talk about uh, that program a lot on the podcast. Uh, we recently had Walker, who's a 50-year-old, who taught himself how to code. And now he runs, um, the, he's the campus director for Dev Bootcamp out here in San Francisco. What was your experience uh, like going through Dev Bootcamp? And can you tell our listeners more about the program, what kind of stack they teach you, mm-hmm. and uh, your overall experience. Yeah, so so Dev Bootcamp is a bootcamp that teaches Rails and some JavaScript. And my experience was having been through a bunch of different educational experiences. Is like, okay, how do I get every bit out of this opportunity? How do I squeeze every drop out of it? And I think the good thing about Dev Bootcamp is there's a structural curriculum. But ultimately, like there's, it's choose your own adventure and you're going to learn as much as you. So there's that extra responsibility on any, any student to kind of make sure you're asking the questions that you need to get answered. And the great part about that is not only are you going to get the question that you're asking answered, that is a skill that you're going to have to translate into the rest of your, your career. Dev Bootcamp teaches programming. And right now I'm a software engineer. Right. Software engineering and programming aren't necessarily the same thing. And as a software engineer, as someone who's getting paid to develop software, there are a lot of things that are brand new to me on a daily basis. And the ways that I can figure out how to solve those problems in a way that keeps my boss and my company and my team happy is reflective of the ways that in Dev Bootcamp, I was able to learn and develop the projects that I was building. Yeah. It sounds like learning the process of learning is more important than just like the skill that you're able to pick up in three months. At least I know that was for me because when I look back, since I've finished the bootcamp that I went to, it's been two years, you're constantly learning on the job. You're learning new technologies. If you, like you were saying, complacency is, uh, what was that quote again? Or is the enemy of progress or something like that? Something like that. Yeah, as long as you keep learning, I think everyone also has a different pace at which they absorb information. Some people might just look at a video and and get it right away. I know in my case, when I was looking at tutorials to learn how to code in Ruby or JavaScript, 
I literally would look at the same tutorial three times. Mm -hmm. And these are not just uh, videos that are 10 minutes long. It would be like a three hour tutorial that I would just go through. And the first time you're literally staring at the screen, you're repeating what the person is doing, but you have very little idea like why you're actually doing it. And I think it's important to understand that that's okay. And then the second time around, you're going to understand a little bit more. And then the third time around, you're going to be so familiar with just doing the motions mm -hmm. that you're going to start thinking of like, oh, like, why is he actually doing that? So I think as long as you don't give up and you keep going forward, that's going to be the biggest advantage that you're going to have acquiring new skills. When it comes to just like yeah. your, your experience at Dev Bootcamp, what was your uh, job search like uh, once you graduated? Yeah, so... Dev Bootcamp, you're in a bootcamp, it's very structured, and like the, there's a lot of challenge, but you have people with you who are doing the same thing. The job search is a lot more harrowing because you, like, no one is telling you what to do. And I think that the big advantage of having a cohort, a group of people who graduated with me and now are going through the job search with me, there was a, like, I was a psychology major also, and it was like an A-B test, right? I saw what other people were doing and I could see the results of that in real time. So if a bunch of people are formatting their resume one way, I might go out of my way to format it a different way to see what their results would be. If they're starting to see results, I could quickly pivot and do what they're doing. But if not, like I'm doing this other thing that might also be successful and I'm learning different techniques that I find people are getting stuff from. Yeah. Do you remember the number of uh, resumes or applications that you send out while you were doing the job search? So rejection is a part of the yeah. job search, right? And I don't like any rejection. <laughs> so I sent out a bunch. That actually leads into a real good story. What Before I sent out a resume, I wanted to make sure I was connecting with people. And being in San Francisco, you have this unique opportunity where you're surrounded by engineers. You're surrounded by the people in the software industry. And if you reach out through a meetup or at a cocktail party or whatever and start talking to these people, a lot of the times they'll talk back. And that was a lot of ways that I, I found opportunities. So I didn't like paper the town in resumes, but I, I would I would do focused resumes that way or focused outreach that way. That being said, like I didn't get every job that I went out yeah. for. And I think one of the things that ultimately led me to work at Stitch Fix, which is an amazing company and a great fit for me was I applied to another company through a friend. I was really confident, went into that interview and absolutely bombed. And like that sinking feeling of sitting at a paired programming station where you're coding next to someone else and realizing like, I do not have this. Mm -hmm. Like that was the thing that drove me to like, all right, here's what the areas I need to work. Here are the things that I need to get stronger at more so than almost anything. Yeah. So then did that friend refer you to Stitch Fix or how did you end up getting a job there? So that friend didn't refer me to Stitch Fix, but I met someone at Stitch Fix through a similar situation. And the first time I met them was a couple, was like right after I graduated boot camp and I had never heard of Stitch Fix at the time. Yeah. And I was like, oh, a clothing company? Like, nah, that's not what I'm into. I don't, I don't want anything to do yeah. with that. And then I'm going through the job search and I'm like, all right, well, and the, the guy's like, no, you should really apply. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'll, I'll do it. Like, let's just, you know, I'll say I did it. And I got on campus and I was like, this place is amazing. And I thought of Stitch Fix just as a company, you know, we send you clothes. That's what we do. And the reality is there's so many interesting engineering challenges involved. How do we get people engaged in the website is one aspect. How do we 
maximize efficiency in our warehouse. So how do we like the trip that the person from receiving to the person, like how do we maximize that for real people with real objects? And then how do we track the data that our customers are giving us? And how do we take that? And how do we send people the clothes that they're going to love? And all of the, that coming together to one app and even more than one app, we talk constantly about a customer experience. One customer experience that is good, is seamless, and hopefully ends up with clothes that make you feel good about yourself. Awesome. Awesome. So do you have any advice for other folks out there who are maybe like just graduated boot camp and going through interviews? Because I remember like in my experience, there were definitely days when I did really well in interviews and there were days when I didn't do as well. So like what type of uh, preparation did you do to get better at these on-site interviews? Mm -hmm. And then like any advice, hacks that you found along the way? Yeah. So one of the really great things is if you're doing interviews... If you're getting ready to do interviews, there, there's a couple programs. I think one is called Pramp, P-R-A-M-P. You can look it up and they will match you with someone and you'll have a coding challenge and you'll give a coding challenge. So not only are you doing a mock interview, you're giving a mock interview and you're getting the experience of seeing what, you know, somebody who does well in an interview, somebody struggles with an interview. And that's absolutely free. You can set up as many of those as you want. Another thing is... A lot of these software companies, a lot of these startups have really cool campuses and engineers would love to show them off to you. Go to a meetup, make a friend and have them take you to lunch. Like it's free for them. Like usually they won't care and sit down with them and listen to the story, right? Listen to them talk about what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. Get that vernacular down, Mm -hmm. ask questions. Again, this is not someone you really, you work with per se. So you like if they think that you don't know what you're talking about, that's okay. Totally, and that's actually uh, why we started the five step challenge. And uh, like one of the five steps, the last step is to actually reach out to folks and connect with people in the tech industry mm-hmm. and turn them into your advocates. And it doesn't an advocate doesn't have to be someone who hands you a job, but just by chatting with them, sharing your thoughts on how like what your plan is, and then getting their feedback from it, going for coffee or an information interview, seeing their campus kind of picking up the vernacular, all those things make a huge difference. It's a, a huge game changer for when you're in the interviews. Because if you just think that, hey, I'm going to go through a book of coding problems, and then that's going to get me the job. A lot of people find out that after sending out dozens of applications that they're still not getting the responses they need. Mm-hmm. And typically, connecting with actual human beings are actually pretty friendly, right? And they're <laughs> more than happy to take you, show you around and take you for lunch. That's actually the game changer that has been helping people in our community and ourselves as well. That's how I got my job. That's how Timo got his. And that's how Ruben got his as well. Yeah. And just to add to what Arthur is saying, a lot of the times people who have gone through the boot camps, especially, they're more likely to more likely to take that coffee meeting with you, mm-hmm. do that lunch at their company. And the best thing is that you have to be very resourceful. And nowadays, you can just go on LinkedIn and you can literally look for people who finish the same coding program that you have. And they can definitely relate to how difficult it is to go through the job search experience. So if you're someone who is not just blasting them with a cold email where it's like completely copy and paste, mm-hmm. if you actually genuinely find their company interesting and you find that person interesting, just shoot them an email or connect with them on LinkedIn and be like, hey, I'm finishing up Dev Bootcamp too. Can I grab coffee with you or can I buy you a coffee and just pick your brain? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the best ways to develop the advocate on the inside 
uh, like Arthur was saying. That's a lot of like, yeah. Go ahead. Of, I was just gonna say like not to beat a dead horse, but when people initially start reaching out to people to have a conversation about trying to help them break into a space, they'll emphasize what they can do. Like, oh yeah, I just learned how to be an engineer and I'm really good at that. Versus like talking about something personal, like oh, I noticed that you also are a chef or you also play Street Fighter, like connect on that level. And then like during the conversation, you mentioned that you cover the basis that you are technically savvy, but if you could create a personal connection with someone and like get them to see, like get passionately excited about you, see themselves in you, a lot of times they're more likely to support you in your efforts when you're trying to get the job. Yeah, I just want to build on that because the one caveat is don't reach out in a selfish way. Like a lot of times people, like now that I have a job, people will be like, oh, can you give me a job? Can you... And like, I want to help you out, but like, clearly this is self-serving. Yeah. If you make a connection where you're like, hey, let's talk about this, or we're in a meetup, not necessarily for software, but we're in a meetup because we do glass blowing or whatever. And like, you start to make those other connections. Once you say you're a boot camp grad, people know you're looking for a job. But once they form a relationship with you, or they will want to help you out, whether or not it's an opportunity at their organization or it's with somebody that they know that they could refer you to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Before we jump into the lightning round, which is the last part of the podcast, I just had a question about what your family has thought about your transitions from culinary school to becoming an educator to becoming a coder. What has been the response? And uh, what, like, what is it like uh, now being an engineer now that you've made it? So my parents just think I'm crazy. They're like, you know, why didn't you just become a lawyer? <laughs> my family, meaning my friends, the people I'm close with, they love it because I'm this much closer to making video games, <laughs> which they really want. <laughs> and then personally, like, it's been a crazy journey. It's had ups, it's had downs. There are times when I wish things were easier, but at the same time, like, this is my story, right? Yeah. And I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason I asked this question is I know... When I was explaining to my parents, and th- this is the case with a lot of people transitioning from a career that they might have gotten to school for, paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for that degree, and now they're explaining to their parents that, hey, I don't want to be a lawyer, I want to be an engineer. And as a person doing the transition, you see all the opportunities in front of you and how you can have that impact. To so some of the folks on the outside, they might be uh, a little bit held back because they want to look out for you and they know how much you worked for it. But I think having gone through that experience of transitioning, it definitely is worth it because you get to the point where you're actually happy and you're doing things that you find fulfilling. So to anyone listening, if, you're, if you have that dream job, just go out and do it. So with that said, the last part of our podcast, it's the lightning round. And this is where Ruben, Arthur, and I will ask you several questions and try to give us brief responses, but fill them with any strategy, any resource, or... Um, any uh, tactic that you've used to get to where you are today? Arthur, take it away. Yeah. So this question, we'll take it back to the basics. And you've actually start, had to start over a few times, different cities, different jobs. So imagine you move to a brand new city, you don't know anyone, and you're starting out with $100. What would you do and how would you spend that $100 to get yourself back on the feet and on your journey to breaking the tech? Having literally done this less than a year ago, my first response is don't do this. Um, but <laughs> if you are going to do this, like the first way to, to get involved in something is to show that you have passion and value for it, right? Like a passion and you can offer value to some people. So one of the first things I did when I knew I was going to code is I built a card game named Duroc. 
right? And it was a command line card game, super simple, but it showed that I had the foresight to build a thing, had artificial intelligence, and it actually played a game. So something could, so people could actually see that you were passionate and see that you were capable. That's the first thing I would do. Then with the hundred dollars, like if you need to lift to go to different meetups, I can't advocate meetups enough to meet people, to start having those conversations, and to show who you are as a as a person. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm going to switch up one of the questions, just given that you're so, so much of a, such a gamer. Who's your favorite Street Fighter character? Why? And like, how did they inspire you on your journey like as a culture today? So, I mean, that's a hard question because you have all these different iterations of the game. So I'm going to stick to the most recent Street Fighter V. And right now, I'm maining Cammy. And the thing I like about Cammy is she has so many different ways to attack you that people have to be aware of a lot of things. And the way you win with her is you get people to guess wrong. And, you know, bringing it back to what we're talking about, like people are going to have assumptions about you. They can either assume right or they can either assume wrong. Like it's up to you to write your narrative despite what people think. Yeah. I love that. I love that a lot. One more question. Like just to back it up, I I usually don't go back to back, but you know, you talked about your parents, but you have a brother as Mm -hmm. well. Are you trying to get your brother into tech or what, what advice do you have for your brother now that you've gone through this journey so far? So my, my advice to anyone is not necessarily do what I've done or go into tech. My advice is to find things you're passionate about and pursue those. My brother's a great storyteller. Right now he's working on this really amazing, like epic jet tale. Hopefully one day I'm going to bring a digital component to it. So to my brother, just keep being you, man. Like one of the hardest things for a lot of people in life is to be yourself. Luckily you have your whole life to practice. So just keep that up and just, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. I love it. So this is a little bit of a doozy, but if you can send a Facebook message or a tweet and the whole world would see it, what would that message say? Wow. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's really, <laughs> you know, do I go altruistic or do I kind of... Go philosophical, altruistic, make it fun. Right. Uh, so I guess the, I would say the thing I would tell, your biggest limitation is yourself, right? The biggest limitations are those you set on yourself. Do scary things. I'm not saying it's going to work out every time. I'm not going to say it's work out most of the time. But like one of the questions I ask myself every morning before I do anything is, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And that's not to say like to be fearless. It's recognize the influence that fear has in your life. And if you weren't afraid, what would you do? Yeah, yeah, uh, that's beautiful. We actually actually poster in our in our house that says, "What would you do if you weren't afraid?" So that's that's perfect. We fully agree. You talk a lot about East Coast, West Coast. You grew up in, Har- in Harlem and Bronx. And I always like talking about music. We talk a little bit about mm-hmm. this set in the beginning. But I don't know who your favorite artist is. And the reason why we talk about music is because a lot of times when you're going through ups and downs, dark times or whatever, music can sometimes have a way to capture a certain emotion and help you teleport to a certain place or break through a struggle. Is there a piece of music or a type of dish that you like preparing that's therapeutic to help you overcome a struggle that you're going through whenever you're in a, one of those valleys. Yeah. So sticking with the music, one of my favorite artists, especially right now, is uh, Aesop Rock. Not Aesop Rocky. Aesop Rock, he's an MC out of Long Island, and he spits these really deeply layered philosophical yarns. And honestly, 
they speak to me, like the difficulties of moving from New York to California, you know, not necessarily fitting in in a social situation. And how do you deal with that? And the way he says it and the, the way you have to like, it's one of those, his songs are the type that you can't get them on the first listen. You can't get them on the 10th listen. Like after you've listened to the album for like three months, you go on Rap Genius and you're like, that's what he's talking about? All right. This makes, not that it makes more sense, but like I got a completely different and very real vibe before. And now I have this other understanding as well. I saw Rob actually has one of my favorite morning workout cardio things. It's called the ASAP Rock All Day Nike Mix. Have yep. you heard it before? Uh, it's yeah. Amazing. Yeah, he's got the jam. Like, he's got some really, and a lot of people don't know about him. So, hopefully, shout out to ASAP Rock. Go count <laughs> yeah. that album. Yeah, man. Um, it was great chatting with you. And um, how can our like, listeners get in touch with you? Like, are you on any social media? Email any any other ways? Yeah, you can you can get me on Twitter at Mana Callen. If you wanted to email me directly, my email is Mana M A N N A H codes C O D E S at Gmail. Um, nice. Yeah, guys. So take take him up on it. And uh, if you have any questions, if you're a fellow teacher, reach out to him. Find out how you could get involved in tech and take it from there. Yeah. Yeah, and let yeah. us know when you got the next game coming out. Maybe we, maybe we should. Uh, maybe we should. Know, play a street fighter match know, do some barbecue and yeah, let's go. not forget about the barbecue <laughs> like i said you guys are coming to the house warming so perfect right. yeah it's- thanks a lot man have a great day and uh we'll keep we'll have you back on the podcast all right it's great talking to everybody yeah. thanks thanks man. thanks for checking us out we appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better if you enjoyed this let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. Let's break in.